You are listening to Hear Her Sports, a podcast for active, adventurous women who love hearing stories from other active, adventurous women. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. In every episode, I introduce a female athlete or woman in sport through a conversation about who they are and the terrific work they're doing. This week, I'm excited to be talking about aerobics in the 1980s. Seriously, I loved watching the old videos of the moves and costumes. It is something else. And yes, links to what I watched are in the show notes, including today's guest, Kathy Murray, in the United States Aerobic Championships, which she won in her team of three. Her book, The Munich Cowboys Cheerleaders, co-written with Martha Hall Kelly, is about Kathy's time coaching a cheerleading squad in Germany. Kathy and I talk about leaving corporate America, Jane Fonda, fitness in Europe at the time, racism in Germany, learning a new language, functional fitness into old age, altering our own competition expectations as we age, and strength training. All great stuff, and I'm so happy to discover that more women are writing and talking about recording and sharing their experiences as female athletes in all time periods. As you heard in the last episode, I am a big believer in the importance of history. Kathy still competes and is still working as a personal trainer. Currently, her clients range from 30 years old to over 80. Since the pandemic, her training sessions have been online, so available to anyone, anywhere. You can learn more about what she does and contact her from her website, fit-bodies.net. The Munich Cowboys Cheerleaders is available on Audible, and Kathy encourages everyone to join Audible and get the book because it's a great experience to listen to a book. I love listening to books, and Kathy's story is exciting and fun. If you aren't a member of Audible, they have a free trial so you can enjoy the Munich Cowboys cheerleaders that way. Go to the show notes at hearhersports.com to see some aerobics, find Kathy's website, social media, and the Munich Cowboys cheerleaders on Audible. Before I get to the episode, I want to thank The Feed for their ongoing support. For four months, The Feed is sponsoring the Keep Her Forward Female Athlete Podcast Network, The network includes Hear Her Sports, Keeping Track, and Women's Running Stories. The feed is the largest online marketplace for your sports nutrition, offering the brands you know and love, from Scratch Labs, Cliff Bar, to Morton, plus their athlete-customized supplements called Feed Formulas. They carry over 250 brands, so you have thousands of products to choose from and to try. I love shopping at The Feed because I'm thoughtful about fueling my body for training and competing, and not everything I use is made by the same manufacturer. The feed is a one-stop shop, so in one shipment, I can get exactly the bars, electrolyte powders, protein powders, and gummy blocks I like. The feed has been a great partner and has an offer for you, too. As dedicated listeners of Hear Her Sports, you can get $80 in credit at The Feed. Just go to thefeed.com slash hearher to claim your $80 in credit at The Feed. All that information and the link is also in the show notes. And now on to the show, I'll introduce Kathy. Kathy Murray is a certified personal trainer with over 30 years experience in the fitness industry. She is a graduate of The Ohio State University, where she was a member of the 1983 National Cheerleading Championship team. In 1986, after college, she competed in and won the United States Aerobic Championship and then spent the year traveling the world as a fitness ambassador and worked as a freelance educator to teach fitness to European instructors. While in Munich, she coached the Munich Cowboys cheerleaders to six national titles in cheerleading 
and was head trainer translator for the German gladiators during a pilot TV show for the international gladiators. Always an avid cyclist, Kathy dipped her toe into the world of multisport in 2000, first competing in duathlons, then eventually moving to triathlons. Kathy has owned her personal training business, Fit Bodies, for 24 years, and this year she co-authored the Audible book, The Munich Cowboys Cheerleaders, based on her time coaching the squad. She now lives in Atlanta, Georgia, with her husband, Lutalo, dog Mingus, and cat Sassy. Well, welcome, Kathy. I can't tell you how excited I am that you're here. It's going to be great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited as well. Well, you know, one of the reasons I am so excited is that, you know, your Audible book is is one of the things I love. It's saving the history of women's sports. And I, of course, I just love sharing the stories of women's sports history, you know, making that time period that you're capturing, you know, making it alive and part of our shared experiences. So I'm really looking forward to going through that and also to tap into your expertise as a physical fitness instructor and what you do to increase the general well-being of others. It's going to be awesome. Great. Thank you. I'd like to start with that bit about, you know, sharing the history of that time period, because what struck me prepping is, you know, wow, that 80s aerobics era. Exactly. What a trip. <laughs> wow. I, I, I think if, if I knew now what I knew then, you know, I, I was teaching a lot. It was very physical back in the 80s, you know, it was high impact. And then who knew, uh, you know, 30 something years later, it would lead to a hip replacement. Did <laughs> 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 you wear the joints out later in life? You know, but uh, obviously I wouldn't have traded it for the world. But I was like, how did that happen when my hips started going bad? <laughs> then I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's it. Well, you know, I, I did. I watched a lot of the videos that were made of, you know, the gladiators and the aerobics championships. And it was like such a time travel. <laughs> Especially with the costumes, right? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Thinking about Jane Fonda and the all leg that stuff. warmers and headbands. And yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. What was that? aerobics championships like? Oh, wow. We, uh, meaning me and my team, Madonna Grimes and, and Judy Draconis, we were in college. Madonna had graduated and went to NYU uh, to get her master's. And she started telling us, hey, there's this aerobic competition. And we were already teaching aerobics at Ohio State. And we had never seen it. And Madonna had seen it. And she says, I think we should enter. And we... You know, sight unseen, you know, they had different compulsories. You had to do, you know, kicks and, and, and crunches and, you know, all this, these compulsories. So we put a, a routine together and we went to New York to the regionals and we were so clueless on what, what it would take at that level. I mean, everyone had the sequins and the matching outfits. And, you know, we had like a unitard with like a, you know, a little uh, a black unitard with like a little trunk on it. And we, we were just looking around like, oh my gosh, what have we gotten ourselves into? And we ended up performing in New York, winning, <laughs> despite the lack of, and I remember the judges saying, you guys are great, but you know, when you go to to California, to Hollywood, to, to do the nationals, you need to kind of, uh, upgrade your, your outfits. And so <laughs> we were like, okay, so we had someone make them and, you know, that type of thing. And then when we got to California, they were, the, the show was taped at the NBC studios. 
you know, we were these girls from Ohio, you know, <laughs> we were really uh, just so fascinated with it. And we ended up winning the, the whole thing, which was, was great. So we traveled around United States. We had went to Japan representing, you know, the brand, which is Crystal Light and General Foods and the, and the competition. So that was such an experience to, to travel the world and, and represent the United States uh, in the aerobic competition. And little did I know then, that's what would get me to Germany. So when you went to Japan, for example, what were you doing? Like, what actually happened once you got there? Well, Japan had a national championship. A lot of the different countries were starting getting an aerobic championship. So we went as ambassadors to the United States to represent them and kind of just help them with their, their competition. We hmm. were just performing at that point. We oh, weren't competing. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. It was very cool. How did you get into aerobics? I was cheerleading. It was my, my last year, and I, but I was, I was still uh, in school. And after I stopped cheerleading, it was, you know, took a lot of my time because I cheered for football and basketball at the time. I thought, well, now what? And uh, someone said, oh, my roommate that was on the team with me was the grad assist for the lady that started Buckeye Aerobics, it was called. So she started an aerobic program at Ohio State. And she said, you should come and take this class. So I took my first class and almost fell on the floor because, you know, at that time, you think, you know, with cheerleading, you're doing a lot of anaerobic conditioning. You know, you're doing a routine for a minute, two minutes or dancing and that's it. Well, now you're doing aerobics for like 20 minutes nonstop. And I really thought I was in shape at the time. I'm like, how could I be breathing this hard and barely able to get through this class when I'm a cheerleader, I'm in shape. So I started taking classes from the director. And, you know, with me, I like a good challenge, just like physically. And I thought, okay, I got to, you know, I'm obviously not in the shape that I thought I was. So I started doing the classes. And then my roommate said, you should talk to her about becoming an instructor. So that's how I got into teaching. Uh, I started teaching at Ohio State for the Buckeye Aerobics Program. And then as I was coming out of college, that's when we entered the Crystal Light National Aerobics Championship. That, oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I want to go back into your early years of uh, being physical and sporty and stuff. But first, I want to ask you, do you think people now today know this aerobics history, like what it was back in the 80s and all of that Jane Fonda stuff? I don't not. You know, I think anybody probably younger than I am does not. Because now when I was teaching in Germany and, and even in college, we we taught everything. We taught you know, at that time it was just high impact, but you know, high, uh, high, low, they called it, um, step, uh, we could do, uh, they had a thing called the, the slide aerobics. We could do kickboxing, we could do spin. So we were trained in everything. And now you, if you want to just teach yoga, you do a yoga certification. If you want, it's more specialty now, you know, if you want to just do general group fitness, you can do that. If you want to just personal train, you can do that. So it's a lot of different things. Whereas especially when I went to Germany to teach as a fitness educator, I taught everything. I taught spin. I taught, you know, high, low, I taught funk, you know, I taught so many different types of aerobics. You know, we were a little bit more versatile then, but I think now people just teach one thing, whether it's yoga or Pilates or what have you, and then they become certified in, in that. So I don't think they really know what it took back then with the whole Jane Jane Fonda era. (laughs) Was that the early period or the start of 
all of those fitness classes? Was there stuff before that that I don't no, know? No, I think it was probably in the 80s. Right. That it, it began and became yeah. really, you know, a hot thing back then. Her and, um, oh, shoot, I can't even think of uh, the other lady that also was really, really big. Joan, Joni Greggins, Joni Greggins, who had a big following in a TV show out in California because we taped her show. But yeah, that was, yeah, that was kind of the beginning. And then it, it kind of evolved from there. Interesting. So let's talk about your early years. You know, how did you get started? How did, you know, did you do sports as a kid? You know, I was one of these kids that I just loved movement. You know, I, I was a run and jump girl. You know, I was always hula hooping or jumping rope or always moving and flipping around in the yard, you know, doing gymnastics, or at least at that time was kind of just cartwheels and things like that. So whenever I was introduced to a sport, whether it was basketball or volleyball or softball, I just was like, okay, I'll go go for it. You know, I may not have been the best at that sport. I remember being on the volleyball team and I thought, what, you know, at that point, I I mean, I'm five, three, (laughs) but you know, I was like, it's great. Let's hit the ball around, you know, or basketball, you know, like a pickup game, you know, I wasn't that great at shooting, but you know, so I always was an athlete that way where I would always, even if it wasn't a formal team. Now, when I was in high school, I was cheerleader but we cheered for football and basketball. So really the only sport I could play was something in the spring. So it was either track or it was softball. And, you know, I had tried track when I was like in, you know, middle school, junior high, and I was terrible. One of the girls that was on my cheerleading squad in high school said, hey, you should go out for softball. And I thought, oh, it wasn't so great because when I was in middle school, it was slow pitch. And they had just switched to fast pitch when I got in high school. And so I went out and uh, I I ended up playing softball when I wasn't cheerleading in high school. Do you have a sense, because, I mean, I think we're pretty much the same age. And so do you have a sense of, you know, when Title IX passed and if that had any impact on, you know, your sport career? Um, I, I'm thinking because after high school, I would play, you know, you know, I would dabble in the sports, but I wasn't one of these, oh, well, I played softball in high school. Now I'm going to go out for the softball team. I don't even know if they even had a softball team back then at Ohio State. So I kind of focused myself on cheerleading, trying to make the team when I got to college. So I didn't really pay attention to what was happening so much in that realm of the Title IX and college sports because cheerleading was my main focus then. I think now what's so nice about the athletes is that now you have other outlets, even though you may not be talented enough to make the team, they have a lot of intramural things in college where you can stay involved in sports. And even with like musicians, I had played three instruments. And then when I got to college, you know, we had a brass marching band. So I, I think there's there's opportunity to stay more involved with sports and other things now in college than it was when I was in college. Well, I want to get to your book, The Munich Cowboys Cheerleaders, which is really fun. I, yeah. I absolutely loved listening to it. And I had not listened to an audible book before. So that oh, was great. that was fun, too. Yay. One of the things that struck me was 
I mean, I had no idea that aerobics was something that the Germans or even, you know, any Europeans were interested in. So can you talk about that? Like, why were they interested in that? Like, how did that come about? And also this sort of fascination with USA football was really interesting as well. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I think like with a lot of things that develop in uh, America, Europeans are really interested in. So fitness, they had a certification. Americans were over that actually helped bring me over there to teach those instructors how to teach, they were kind of in the dark ages. I remember going to a gym. Remember those like conveyor, those little belt things that would jiggle your fat? <laughs> yeah. And then the rollers that you would sit on, they had that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, stuff from the 50s and 60s. I was like, wow, this is what this looks like, in, you know, <laughs> without a picture. <laughs> and they were having these classes like this is the... I think they call it anti-cellulite, the anti-cellulite oh, class. And you're going to sit and, you know, jiggle your fat around and you're going to. And so I was amazed at how, you know, uh, they were like really clueless as far as what, what fitness was. So we were bought over, we meaning a lot of Americans or Canadians to teach instructors and then they would have, they would have a certification program. So I would teach the instructors, you know, the big conventions on the weekend. I would, you know, say my thing was anatomy or, or musical phrasing. Okay, this is how you, uh, you know, do blocks of choreography with eight counts. So they knew none of that. They just knew what they had, you know, watched from videos mm -hmm. from America. So that's why they were really hungry and, you know, paid well. Because so many people are like, well, that's how you did was teach aerobics. Well, you know, they paid you for being educated to teach them these things. So that's why when I initially went over, when I was still in medical sales, I was teaching in Germany and also the, the Italians had a aerobic federation. So they were bringing over American instructors at the time to teach them more about group fitness. Yeah, aerobics at the time. So that's why they were interested. They were so great. Yeah, I taught funk there, the hip hop thing. It was just so fun. Wow. Yeah. How did they even know about I mean, I'm thinking back to the 80s, we didn't have YouTube and all that. So how were they finding out about the aerobics craze in, in yeah, the States? Yeah, right, because the computers and things weren't there yet. I'm not sure. I just knew that they were already certifying instructors when I went over. And so I don't even, I, could, I, I don't even know the answer to that on how they actually knew. But somehow, somehow they got videos because that's how the, that's how the cheerleaders were kind of mm. winging it. Is they were watching <laughs> videos and just trying to, you know, simulate what the what the videos were doing, hmm. learning kind of by that. Wow. So they were still able to to get some type of order the videos somehow. You know, and they had the VHS. I was back in the VHS days. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the other thing that came out in the book was how how you encountered so much racism in, oh, in Germany, wow. which I was, that surprised me. Oh, wow. It really, it, 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 it kind of was twofold because being African-American, but everyone is not happy to see Americans. They really were, ooh, you know, kind of vicious. You know, even some of my white friends were like, wow, you know what happened today? And, you know, because they can hear, even though we're trying our best, and German is not the easiest language, they can hear the accent. 
And wow, I remember just like the, I say in the book, the, those are some of the first words I learned <laughs> you know, because I was being called certain things. And I was like, well, what is that? And it was really um, amazing to me how racist it was back then. You know, I don't think I went into the in the book about just trying to get an apartment. I had to uh, my roommate from college was half German and she was a, a journalist. So she was already living in Munich and I was subletting an apartment and she said, Hey, you need to get an apartment. So I said, okay, well, let's go. And that was back before the computers because we had to look into one ads, you know, and she, she said, okay, great. She would call, Hey, this apartment is available. Great. We're coming over. And soon as we show up, they take one look at me and go, Oh no. <laughs> she would say, well, I just called like five minutes ago. You said it was it was available. And they're like, nope. And then, you know, this went on two or three times. And she said, what is going on? And I'm like, what do you mean what's going on? You know, not only do they think, okay, maybe I'm loud or what have you, the American stereotype, but then the black stereotype. And, you know, finally, luckily I had a student that was an attorney. She was German and she helped me get my first apartment. So it was things like that, that, you know, you have laws here that, you know, if you're discriminated, but there, nope, if they didn't want you there, they would just say no to your face. And, you know, you just kept on having to move, keep moving. Wow. How yeah. did you manage all of that? I think that because I didn't want to go back to medical sales, you know, I definitely wasn't a corporate girl. I definitely loved teaching fitness obviously I was teaching fitness before I started coaching and and I just that was my passion yes I was in a foreign country but I was doing something I loved and getting paid well for it so I kind of was like well you know you choose to stay here and work so you're going to have to make the best of it you're going to have to learn the language you're going to have to I think when you're so focused on living there daily working shopping you know, and the coaching and everything that I was that kind of stuff, even though it happened, I just kind of let it, I don't know. I, I think there were times, you know, we had the small community there of Americans and Canadians that were going through the same thing. So you did have a little group that kind of vent your frustrations, but I was like, you know, I, I have to make this work. So I'm going to make it work. And, you know, it wasn't all bad. I mean, you know, like I said, I had a great community of instructors there and we had fun and you know I could travel go into all these different places to teach and experience in all the different cultures I mean there's nothing that can ever take the place of that that I had that I when I was living there for lived there for five years I, I worked there for eight wow, so yeah. um I just think I think researching the book that's when I was like wow you know you really you went through a lot, you know, going through all of this. But when you're in it, you don't even really think about it at the time. Hmm. And what was learning German like? Oh, man, and, and I mean, because tough. I would expect that, you know, becoming proficient coaching was so important, but it's oh. so hard to learn a language. This was way before Google Translate. <laughs> so you just had a, I had a pocket dictionary and I did go to classes. They had classes like a, it's called the Volkshochschule, like a little school that they taught German and, you know, it would have French and Japanese and, you know, everyone would be there learning German. Um, I had 
friends that were German, that their English was really good. Um, they were proficient in English and they really helped me when I first got there because I was like, how do I just go out and order at a restaurant? And they gave me like the little book and we would sit down and I, they would say, just start writing questions down. How do you say this? And then they would kind of tutor me privately. And then I always tell people, if you want to learn a language of a certain country, go there and live because you have no choice but to every day go out and, and practice. When I got with the cheerleaders, they didn't have a school affiliation, but they were as young as 15 and to 21. So some of them were in school and some of them were in the workforce, but they have to learn English. You know, that's why a lot of Europeans know, you know, four or five languages, but English they have to take in school. So a lot of them would translate for the others. And then as I was taking lessons, I would understand everything. They could speak to me completely in German and I would go, okay, all right, yeah, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this formation. And I could tell them back in English. And then as I start becoming more proficient, then I started speaking more in German. So I learned really quickly being a coach for the German team with my German. I had a student that really wanted to get to know me and we would have coffee and we would just put the dictionary in front of us and swing it around, swing it around, swing it around. And then by the end, I could speak to her in German, you know, after several months. So it's just like anything, just practicing constantly. I love that you are here listening to another terrific sporty woman tell her story. If you aren't already on the list, I encourage you to sign up for the Hear Her Sports newsletter at hearhersports.com. Many listeners are already signed up and really enjoy reading and finding even more by clicking the links. You will find special offers from sponsors, of course, with the links that take you exactly where you want to go. Mostly, the newsletter is where I write some thoughts on the latest guest and what we talked about in the episode. All the conversations stay with me, so in the newsletter, I'm able to relate those thoughts to a bigger picture of women's sports and to everything I've learned from the more than 100 women I've spoken to in the last five years, producing the podcast and other audio projects. Each individual story is important. Equally important is where the stories fit into the context and history of female athletes and women's sports. I'd love to have you join us. It comes out only every other week, so enough to be engaging, but not too much. Sign up at hearhersports.com. Well, let's get to the team. You know, you talked about doing research and sort of remembering what that was like. Is there anything that stood out that you maybe hadn't remembered and then you remembered in the research about coaching the team? Yes. So let's see. I think I can reconnect it with 13 of the girls. Because I was their Facebook friends, you know, I would comment on posts, but I didn't really actually reach out and speak to them. So when I started researching for the book, I contacted them and said, hey, you know, this is what's going on. And it was so funny because they weren't used to hearing from me. So they were like, someone hacked your account, you know, thinking, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's me. So after we got on a Zoom and, you know, I told them about the book and then I just put together some questions on what was your first, you know, when I showed up, how did, how was that? You know, what was your favorite stunts and dances and what was your worst? What was your best? 
what was, and so we kind of together, because some, they were like 15, 16, they were young. And now they're like in their forties. So I kind of had to remember jostling around, you know, for what I would remember and then what they remember. So like in the, you know, in the book, when I talk about the routine for the men in black, whenever I asked them, what was your favorite routine? They all said the men in black and I completely forgot it. I was like, what? Now remember that movie was out and the song. And I thought, can someone send me this routine? And when they sent me the routine, I went, oh, wow, I totally forgot about that. So, yes, uh, there was a lot of, you know, remember this, remember that. You know, I wouldn't remind them of the little teenage things. You know, one girl wouldn't want to come out of the locker room because her boyfriend broke up with her. And, (laughs) you know, just the teenage things that you had to deal with. And, you know, they smoked there. So for me, it was like, what? What do y'all mean y'all taking a break and y'all smoking during the the break, you know, during the (laughs) practice? So it was things like that that was we laugh about that. I was like, okay, no, you're not supposed to smoke when you're a cheerleader. Um, That that type of thing. They weren't in shape. You know, I had to put them on a conditioning program. So they kind of complained and laughed about that. And I think probably the biggest thing that really touched me that I had no idea is I had mantras at every championship, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And I would have that at the practice and all the way through that championship. Pain is only temporary, but victory is forever. Team, there's no I in team. So I had all these things. And as the girls were telling me about their lives, they would say, oh, when my kid, you know, would get disappointed, I would tell them one of your mantras or, a lady, she was a professional, and she said, when I supervise my team, I tell them this. So that was just blew me away that they remembered that and they still are using that in their adult lives. So that kind of stuff that I was very surprised at how much they retained um, and can still use. Yeah, it sounds like you had a huge impact. Yeah, I, I didn't really realize that until we were we reconnected for the book. That's amazing. It's really touched. It also sounds like you were really good at working with the teenagers. I mean, how did you know how to do that? Yeah, that that you have to have a lot of patience. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, because you know they were. It's it was a fun thing for them, but you know they were giggly, and you know they were. You know, sometimes you had to really uh, get them to buckle down. And I think you know when you're not an athlete. Those are some of the things I had to teach them. You know, you have to practice hard. You have to put in that extra work at home or, you know, if you're, you're a slow learner, you have to, you know, spend that much more time to, to get to learn and, 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 and you work as a team. Um, you know, they, they cheer for American football, but, you know, some of them had, boy, their boyfriends were on the team. You had to be patient, but then you had to be tough. You know, you had to be tough. Um, you know, when they were complaining about we can't get this and we don't want to do it, we want to change it. Well, that's not life. You you gotta we're, we're we're keeping this stunt in, and this is why, you know that type of thing. So you you know you have to have kind of a side where you can have fun. And this was new to them, especially when we got to the championship. It was like okay, this is what it takes if y'all want to compete. This is what it's going to take to compete. So I don't want to hear about my neck or this or this hurts. You know, you just have to suck it up. Yeah. I mean, how did you transfer that sort of, you know, the understanding of the level of seriousness or commitment or, you know, whatever you want to call it? 
I mean, they cheered and, and that was fine and they were great at the games. But when they said, look, we want to do this. And then they gave me a tape and I looked and I thought, wow, you know, you guys have an advantage because you have an American that knows cheerleading. Everybody else is just kind of making it up as they go along. And then they saw some of the videotapes from America, like the, the big championships for universal cheer. And so they knew what that was, but I had to teach them what it took to get there. You know, if they dropped a stunt, you, you got to get back up because the, the pyramid's not going to go up if you just stand there. You know, you can't miss a beat. So just that practice, 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 uh, discipline, you're a team. The spotter in the back is just important as the person that's flying, you know, at the top. So everyone has their role. So if you have this, we have to be that team that they look to to say, what are they doing? and set the stage. So I could give that to them as a competitor and a champion from America that nobody else could do, I think. How important was winning that first championship? I mean, your parents came. Well, <laughs> there's some things in the book that, you know, I kind of, you know, was based on my story, but my parents didn't come until after the championship, but, oh. <laughs> I, but I did write them in the book. You know, I did some composite characters, like Annika is a composite character. But um, the first one, well, you it, it took it took a while because the racism, wow, I, I that was probably my a knife in in my heart when we deserved to win and we didn't win because the judges were like, oh well, they have an American instructor uh, coach and they have an advantage, so we're gonna stick it to them. That was difficult because my coaching was like. You hit the routine, you have this level of difficulty, this is what they're gonna be judging in. If we hit everything, we'll win. And we're better than everybody else because our difficulty level is higher. So that first one, we didn't win because, you know, I kind of say we got stabbed in the back. So that, that was tough because the girls are looking at me like, well, you said if we do this, 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 and this, and obviously we were better than everyone else and we didn't drop, how come we got 10th place? That that was really, really hard for me as a coach. But, you know, I had to say, okay, well, now we're going to come back and we're going to be, we're going to make it so obvious that we are the best team there. We're going to make it obvious that we got screwed if they don't give us first place, if we deserve, if we hit the routine. Because we were, I had them tumbling. Nobody else was doing that, you know? So... Even on our worst day, if we dropped a stunt, we still should have gotten first place because everybody was just not that great, you know, then. So that was probably the tough thing. But that's when they understood pain is only temporary because I said, no matter how much you guys are complaining and the long practices, when they call your name out there for first place, all that is gone. Right, <laughs> for sure. All of that is gone. And then you say, yes, this is why we had to put all the blood, sweat and tears in it. And this is worth it because now we're champions. I think one of the things that I was really amazed at was how you took this team who, you know, it was a bunch of people who weren't that fit. And it sounded like they weren't doing cheerleading for a lot of great reasons. I mean, like they sort of were just doing it because. And right. you turned them into a team that really cared about winning. Right, right. They, I remember when we reconnected and they were complaining, they were talking about, 
how their necks were always hurting because they were doing forward rolls. <laughs> and I said, well, because you guys couldn't do anything else. I had to take the, the level that you guys were at and make it aesthetically, you know, pleasing, like, oh, wow. Okay, they just did a roll and then they popped up individually and that's cool to the music. So as they got better, then we could add gymnastics. Then I had to teach them how to stunt. And, and I could relate to that because a lot of the girls were scared um, if they were holding someone. And I said, look, I was on an all-girl squad in high school and I was a base. So to go from being a base and holding girls to going to college and standing on a guy's shoulder and then having another girl be loaded on top of me, I know how difficult that is. So I had to assess who would be the bases, who would be the flyers, who would be the spotters. And then, you know, I had, I did have to kind of change it around, but it was just a, a work in progress. And, and every time we would get a stunt, now they did go to a camp. We went to two camps in Florida. So they would learn all the material and, you know, work on stunts and gymnastics. And then I would just kind of pull that together into the, the championships. But they just got, you know, better and better each thing. Okay, now we're going to try this stunt. Ooh, I don't know if we can do it. We can do it. You know, you just have to be confident, you know, show them that, that, that you know, let their confidence build and not even think about it. A sentiment that you wrote about in the book, and I'm like badly quoting, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you wrote, you know, why have I done this to myself? And I just love that, you know, like so often we get into a position and it's the crux moment and you think, oh my gosh, why am I, why am I doing right. this? Why have I done this? And you were talking, I think it was in the championships and you were, you were saying like, why have I put myself in this position of, you know, so publicly being possibly humiliated? Right. I just, you know, it, it, it's a flash, I think, at the time on why did I do this? But then you look, you step back and you see the girls just not only working hard for it, but having fun and laughing and, you know, not only with cheerleading, but it, it's helping them in their other, build that confidence and the, the hard work into their whole, um, you know, adult lives that, that it brought in. So at the time, I don't think I even saw that, but we had fun. I mean, it, it was some tough time, times, but we had fun. So that, when they would rib me and 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 make fun or you know make me laugh, because sometimes I would be real serious. That's you know that's when I was like, okay, you know what, you're taking this really serious, but they're having a great time doing it. So it, you're here for a bigger purpose. One of the things that you talked about in the book was your dad's thoughts when you were first going oh. over to Germany. And this gets into a topic that I find really interesting about cheerleading and, and also aerobics. You know, can you talk about why those sports are important and why they are, in fact, sports and hard and, you know, I guess worthy? Because that was what your dad was. It sounded like your dad was thinking that this was not. No, this is not, not a, it's worthy. Not a, this is this was great when you were in college. But now here's the real world. And we put you through college. We pay for college. You have a degree and yes, okay, your job isn't the best. I mean, you don't think it's the best, but you know, look, you 
you have to look where we came from and now we put you in the position to be in a fortune 500 company and and have a company car and have stock options and you know you have all this and what are you talking about you're not happy <laughs> you know and my dad was like you work and you know back then you work you get your pension you're good you don't you don't have to love your job it's a job and look what we were doing. Look where you're doing. And my mom was kind of like, Ooh, you know, you're doing what <laughs> you're leaving your job and you're going to Germany. I just kind of thought, well, initially the contract was only six months. So I was kind of like, well, what is it to go and find out, you know, if this is right. And I always have the safety net of coming back to corporate if I wanted to, but I knew I had always, once I was in medical sales, I always continued to do fitness. I mean, I still was teaching in the clubs, the health clubs after work. So I always kept teaching even uh, once I finished the championship and, and was doing corporate. But I just love a movement. I was in front of people. I think that whole cheerleading thing. And I love, that's why I love being a personal trainer because I love, improving people's quality of life you know just people getting excited on i couldn't do this and now i can because now i'm fitter so yeah it was a tough one with my dad because he was like this is crazy you know you got this great <laughs> job and you're gonna leave and my mom was kind of like well you know let her go and and we'll see what happens and then i never did turn back i actually started fit bodies in germany but I look back, I mean, that, again, that's in the mid 80s, right, that yeah. you went over? Mm -hmm. And aerobics was new, the whole idea of, I mean, this fitness was just starting, the idea of women being fit was just starting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I just, it's, I just can't imagine it. You're like, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, you how, know, as a full time job, because yeah. back then, it was like what I was doing with corporate, I was working in corporate, but that was a side job. Sure. You know, that that doesn't pay the bills. That's just kind of like, OK, well, that's a little extra cash and, you know, that's fine. But to actually do this full time, absolutely not. So, yeah, I think that you really have to. You know, I just was miserable. I mean, there's nothing worse. And I'm sure everybody has been there where they're just like, why am I getting up in the morning for what? This is um, I'm miserable. And I have to slog through the day faking it and I'm not happy. So that really, um, I think that was probably the first time in my life I experienced that, you know, that depression. I don't want to really go to work. But you must have also had this great sense of, I guess, your love of, of movement, as you said, and exercise and, and a bigger purpose. Yeah, I was the one that was in the weight room doing my own workout. And like, next thing I know, I was seeing someone, you know, trying to do something that didn't know how to do it. And I was correcting them and, hey, you know, just giving them free advice. You know, I was always that girl, you know, or encouraging people, you know, you can do this. You can do a pull up. I was always that 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 woman that always liked to show people how to you know, improve their fitness because I love fitness so much. Yeah, let's talk about Fit Bodies, your personal training business. And you're now in Atlanta, Georgia. You're no yes. longer in Germany. Mm -hmm. right. So 
I really was struck by something that I read, and I don't remember where I read it, but you said, I love making people feel good about exercising. I do. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I have uh, clients, uh, I think the youngest now are probably in their 30s and the oldest is 80, in their 80s. And I love my seniors because they, you know, they'll, they'll start working out like in their 70s. And then they'll say, oh, wow, I can do, one of my clients said, I can, I can never bring the groceries in. I always had to get my husband to bring the groceries in. And then when we started training, she was like, I can actually bring the groceries in by myself and lift them up and put them on the counter. Those of us that are in fitness, we just take that kind of stuff for granted. Or I, I see my friends in their 80s, they can't get up. They have to have help getting up off the couch. And I can just pop up. You know, so that whole functional quality of life, and that's why I always tease them when they complain and whine about squats. I said, a squat is getting up out of a chair. When you lose the ability to do that, you're in an assistant living. Who wants to do that, you know? So I think that I kind of get them to think about exercise, not as like, okay, I'm doing these push-ups, but why they're doing the push-ups, you know, or why they're, you, you want to do a squat, why you want to work on balance that type of thing. I just love when they say, oh, I've come off this medication or, you know, my doctor was happy with my physical. I mean, that type of thing. Or I train world-class triathlete. So when they say, oh my gosh, no, I made a PR because now my strength training is a lot better. So that type of thing just, oh my gosh, it's like the best feeling and job in the world. I love what you talked about with the older athletes a term I heard recently was sedentary creep. Oh, right. You know, our expectations are so low physically for older people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm able to do this with a lot of my athletes because I'm older <laughs> and, I, and I've been racing for 20 years. And so I've had to evolve, you know, starting with, uh, even though I've always been active, but definitely starting in multi-sport in my forties and now being in my sixties. And I, now can educate them on, okay, you can't just keep moving through an injury. You know, now it's going to take you long to recover. Now you, you know, you may not want to have your race calendar that heavy. Just let's back off a little bit. Or as I always tell my older athletes, the older you get, well, I think in any sport, but especially multi-sport, the bigger your team becomes. <laughs> so my team, Kathy, is I have a chiropractor, I have an acupuncturist, I have, you know, right. I have a soft tissue doctor. Those are the only ways I can stay active because I am an older athlete, because I love the sport, but you have to pay more attention and you have to have more team members to keep you uh, racing. And I can say that because I was like, oh yeah, I would, you know, have an issue with my calf and I would continue to continue to run anyway. You know, that kind of thing that I had to learn the hard way and trying to educate them. Yeah, no, you, you need to go and see somebody because that's not going to just, you know, heal on its own. So that type of stuff with even my athletes and my regular clients. You are still competing. So how are you managing those expectations for yourself? Like, you know, we're not as fast as we used to be. That has been a that's been a, 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 a evolution because I had my hip replaced. Right. Uh, five years ago, you know, osteoarthritis. And I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I, I love racing. And 
luckily, uh, and I tell people whether you have a knee replacement, whatever, you have to interview the doctors. I interviewed four surgeons. And my surgeon was the last surgeon I interviewed because everyone was saying, treating me like an 80 year old. No, you can't do this. You can't, can't. I kept on hearing can't. I'm like, I have a titanium hip. <laughs> what do you mean I can't? And you can't run. You can't do this. You can't. And, and so finally, when I found my surgeon, he was like, yes, you can race. So it was hard because it took me a little time to work up. No one gives you a here's how you start running after a hip replacement. You know, you go to, to rehab. So I had to make up my own program. Um, they give you the rehab stuff, they strengthen it, but how do I do that? So I had to make up my own program. I started doing a walk run. I did my first race eight months post-op. I did a lot of walking and just working my way back. And then I thought, okay, I don't want to put too much stress on this new, this, this hip because you can't wear it out. And I told my surgeon, if I can just run a 5K, if I can just do the sprint distance, I'm happy. So this year was my first year doing aqua bike. They have a separate category that has no running. So you just swim and you, you do your open water swims and you do your bikes and that's it. So I've done two of those, my last race a couple of uh, weeks ago. And you know, I'm, I, I, it's weird because you're, I'm used to running off the bike, but I think that that's, as I get older, I think that's going to have to be my, my, my category, my division. I'm still racing. I'm still doing the, the training and what it takes to get there. I'm just not doing a lot of running because my other hip is bad also. And I'm not trying to rush <laughs> to get another hip replacement. So that's where you have to start thinking. Yeah, even when I start running, I was running like a 738 minute off the bike. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Be happy with a 930, you know, or a nine. So you just kind of have to put it in perspective and say, I'm out here still. It can be hard to make those adjustments. It was hard. It was hard. But, you know, I mean, I was happy. I podium in my last, <laughs> my last race. And I thought, okay, I, you know, I think this is going to be your thing now. Cool. You can still do the sprints. And I train my, my athletes that, especially coming from injuries, I'm like, it sucks to be injured. But your expectations are low and then you just have to go, okay, look where I'm at. Yes. Okay. You're not as fast on this race, but you're going to be able to get back there. You just, you just have to be more patient. So I think that my, um, experience, uh, because I have been there, especially with the hip replacement, I can really coach my athletes to say, or even just my regular clients to say, you can get it back. You just got to just know that. So I knew going in after my hip replacement, I'm going to race again. I mean, I had those days where I was like, how am I going to race? I'm on a cane. But that athlete, that's the drive you have. I'm going to do it no matter what. Right. It makes a big difference having an older coach if you're an older athlete. I've had younger coaches and they just don't get like no, how much how much not. rest I need and whatever. No, they don't. And yeah. you know, they're, they have you doing crazy stuff. You know, it's because sometimes people say, well, I'm going to just, maybe it's not convenient to, to train with me, but they're going to go to the LA fitness or whatever. And I'm like, please don't get a 20 year old trainer. <laughs> <laughs> they just put you in a cookie cutter. You know, you're 60. You're not, you know, I had a, a, a 60 year old golfer and she was complaining about her shoulder. And I said, what's going on? Well, the, the trainer had her going. He's like, 
crawls on the ground or <laughs> something crazy that was injuring her shoulder. I'm like, you're mm. a golfer. You need to be working on functional stuff, flexibility. You know, these things, him making you do duck walks across the floor. What is that doing? <laughs> so, yes, that's when you don't want a 20 year old trainer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Going back to the I love making people feel good about exercising, a question that I often ask myself is like, what about the people who don't like exercising? How do you reach those people and, you know, like get them into your studio, get them to start working with you? Because oftentimes that's like the big hurdle. Yeah, that is a big, big hurdle. And I, I think that the people that come in begrudgingly, like, oh, you know, most of the time they know they're out of shape. Typically those people, it's their physicians. Sure. That say, look, you know, you're pre-diabetic, you, you need help, or you're having issues with this because your back is too weak, your hamstrings too weak, or your core is too weak, and people aren't, you know, motivated to do it themselves, or if they do, they end up typically injuring themselves because they don't know what to do. They're trying to do something from when they were in college, <laughs> and you know, you're not there anymore. Um, so I think the physical thing with health. Because I have a lot of people referrals from physicians and my soft tissue guy. So I think for them, I have to say, look, it seems difficult now, but it's going to get better. I have an 80 year old. She'll be 81. I started her at 78 and she couldn't undo a top. She couldn't take a top off a jar because she oh, had wow. had surgery on her neck and her arm was she had moved to Jersey and she was my client here. And I said, you have to start strength training. She couldn't even do five push-ups on her knees. She can do 20 push-ups on her toes now, you know, two sets. So I think for those people, even though it's hard, and I always tell them, remember how you're feeling now. Remember how hard this is because it's going to get better. And as they say, oh, wow, I you know, I up my weight or now I can do more pushups on my knees or, or that's what motivates the people that come in saying this really, you know, I don't want to be here, but I'm here. I think that they start feeling better. It doesn't happen, you know, right away, but that I think that's what, what motivates them to say and accountability, you know, so I have to work as a triathlete. I have to work at the swimming. I'm, I'm dense. <laughs> I don't float. It's a lot about technique. So I have to have the accountability of a coach to meet twice a week in the pool, you know, and then I do open water swims on the weekend. But so I tell them trainers need trainers too. It's that first month that's a doozy though. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and they know, you know, I, you know, for me to get up and swim at 530 in the morning is absolutely. And I said, I would never do it. And here I'm doing it. <laughs> so yeah, so I hired my coach last year and I had to totally break down my stroke. I had to, he had to rebuild it. And I've been racing for 20 years. I've had some of my fastest swim times this season. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's when you're like, okay, this is why I'm getting up and, you know, getting in the water at 530 or having a hard workout because you, you see it later, how it, um, you know, applies later when you're racing. Are you working with your 81 year old over Zoom? Because she's I in am. New Jersey now? Oh, really? You wow. know, I, I had my own space for years. And that's actually when I was at the tail end of the cheerleaders. They were bringing me back over for three years after I had my studio here for eight years. And I tell you, the pandemic 
really changed things. When everything shut down in 2020 and we had to go online, I remember telling my clients before we went online, because I have friends still in Germany, Italy, and I saw, you know, it was a wave. Remember how we were looking at them like, wow, they can't go out of their houses. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, eventually came over here and I kept on telling them it's coming. We have to go online. This is what we got to do. FaceTime, you know, whatever, Google Duo. And this is what you're going to do. You don't have to do that much equipment. You can buy extra tubes and door anchors. And, you know, so in COVID, we got online. Then my clients were like, well, look, I got my gym here. I don't have to fight traffic. So right, believe right. it or not, I'm 100% online still. Really? Wow. Yes. Now my clients that moved away, Jersey, New York, my one client just moved out to Montana. I trained her today. My one client, my 80-year-old moved to Clemson from Atlanta. I got a client in D.C. She's in the Air Force. so She's a big triathlete. So now instead of, oh, well, I'm not in Atlanta, I can't come to your gym. Now I can still train people pretty much worldwide because it's easy to do. I do miss a lot of in-person because you can touch them and turn them. And sometimes it's hard to equate online, but I've been doing this now for two years. So look, a bright spot of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and, and. If I was not, if I was continuing to go to the gym twice a day, like I was doing, you know, early 6 a.m., coming home in the afternoon and then going to back to the gym till eight o'clock, I would not have had the time to write and edit this book. Oh, sure. Because I was doing a lot of late nights editing and writing in between clients. And it would have been really hard if I was going in into because I was traveling to the gym twice a day. So that was like kind of the if you're going to have a bright spot, that's that's what happened. I was able to pull a lot of my old clients that had moved away in, add some, you know, especially athletes, and write a book, write and edit my book. Well, before we wrap up, you're in off-season training period now for triathlon. So what's going on? What are you doing? What are your goals for this off-season period? I tend to really like off-season just because, I don't know, you can get new thoughts going yeah, you definitely need that off season for your body to recover. I work with a functional medicine doctor that looks at my blood work and and I was there two weeks ago before my last race and she was like, you're all for training because all the athletes in my group, especially with the swim, they were training for a half Ironman. I was doing the next distance down with the Olympic, but they were putting me in with their workout. So I knew I was working a little hard, but I was telling her, look, after this last race, I'm going to relax. So it took me about a week to turn off the, the training. Like I was supposed to be in recovery week and I was still, you know, acting like I was still racing. So that took a, a while because I started my first race in May. So it's been a long season, but I, I'm getting a massage <laughs> this weekend. The swims aren't so structured. You know, I ran today, you know, with my dog. So just trying to back it down and, and allow my body to um, to rest, but trying to figure out what I need to work. I need to do a lot more indoor training on the bike this year. I have a, one of my clients has a, his own spin studio and he's a cycle coach. And I didn't really do a lot of that uh, once COVID hit. Um, so trying to get a lot stronger on the bike this off season and believe it or not i was a gymnast right so it should not be any problem for me to flip i am having the biggest time with the flip turn 
in the pool. <laughs> I'm like, how is that possible? So, um, you know, I'm, I want to work That's on a my good goal. flip turns. Yeah. So those are some of the things right now that I'm excited about and working in off season. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was, uh, it was absolutely fantastic yeah, talking to you. It's been fun. Thank you for having me. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you to Kathy Murray for sharing stories of aerobics and cheerleading in Germany. Thank you, as always, to our fantastic Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee supporters for the continued backing of the show. We can't thank you enough. We couldn't do it without you because we are a listener-supported show. If you aren't a supporter and would like to be, go to patreon.com slash hearher or to the easy-to-use buymeacoffee.com slash hearher. Links to things Kathy and I talked about, how to listen to her book, and videos of her competing are all in the show notes at hearhersports.com. Hear Her Sports is growing. You can help us by telling your friends about the show or about a particular thing you've enjoyed or learned while listening. You can always connect with me in an email to elizabeth at hearhersports.com. You know I love talking about women's sports, so I look forward to hearing from you and replying. We are on all socials at Hear Her Sports. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter at hearhersports.com. And until next time, bye-bye. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.